Wicked Grounds. Recorded live at Wicked Grounds Cafe, San Francisco. Welcome to the Wicked Grounds Podcast. This is the second part of our second broadcast. Uh, my name is Psycho Kitty Ryan. I am your host and my lovely co-host. My name is Rubik. Hello. And joining us is the ever-lovely Carol Queen. I am here and so happy to be here. Uh, We're very happy to have you. Now, I don't know if you remember the first time we met was uh, several years ago on stage at the Castro Theater for the Good Vibes Amateur Erotic Film Fest. Right. Um, I had starred in a little featurette called Suck My Crutch with Rebecca (laughs) Wilcox. (laughs) Yeah, back on crutches again. Um, Yeah, a theme somehow. Yeah. (laughs) Well, actually, in that, in that story, it was she was the the uh, paraplegic dom. Right. It was a paraplegic dom love story, and we won the audience appreciation award for the film fest, and so I got to come up and Rebecca and I, and we very gracious. And that's that's the first time I got to you know knew or like the name Carol Queen and face and person and all got into my perception. That all comes back to me now. I'm glad that you remember that uh, because, uh, of course, I remember that film. And, uh, yeah, and, and that film becoming the audience favorite, I think that was just a chew-in, mm-hmm. if that's the right way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, I admit we were probably the least naughty film up there. There was still some naughty bits. There certainly were. Yeah, no, the, the, the Erotic Film Festival, the Independent Erotic Film Festival, which initially was an amateur erotic film mm-hmm. festival, but then it turned out that film students wanted to pitch in, too, and filmmakers wanted to make short things. So it's basically just a seven-minute or fewer um, minute, whatever you could cook up. And what I love about it is it's so diverse. Yeah, and that's been going Just different for how things. many years now? Um, I think about seven. And we're not having one this fall. I think we're looking oh. at probably moving to the, to the spring for our okay. next one is what I think is going on. Um, is it still sponsored by Good Vibes? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, the person who was the sort of the curator of that whole project moved on to do another job. So mm. we're like... We'll do another one, but we miss her still, and we don't know how to fill her shoes. So, yeah. um, it, and and something about the the film festival that I like so much, so much, is showing all the movies together in the Castro. Yeah, oh, I love that theater. Being together in any movie theater, no matter how seedy, I want to say, is mm. a different experience than you know peering into your cell phone and looking at a postage stamp size porno oh yeah, yeah. Por- porn can travel out. anywhere now yeah and it's porn can very be any place. individual thing but the but that's not a big screen and the castro has a big screen i think that is the biggest i have seen my um self up on <laughs> so yeah. to speak yes yeah it's pretty awesome isn't it i kind of i mean one of the things that me deciding that i was an exhibitionist meant was that any sort of natural hesitation to see myself on a big screen evaporated. Mm. I was like, that's cool. That's big. So seven years ago, that means that that, the Suck My Crutch was probably one of the first or second ones, wasn't it? I think it was maybe the third year in at the very most. Yeah. The very most. Yeah, it was a pretty early year. Yeah, and and of course, you know, it's not the only film that has had something to do with disability and sexuality Mm -hmm. that we've ever seen. There's actually a really awesome one making the rounds now that was at the Feminist Porn Awards um, a year ago. But, wow, 
there's so much, so many more stories to tell. Yeah. And not as many on film as we would like to see. So that just made us so happy. Uh, one of the things I'm really grateful to that film is that's how I became friends with Rebecca Wilcox. And like later went on to have her be the officiant at my wedding. So nice. it's, actually, like, it's kind of you know, like I met, met her very briefly through the fetish scene and stuff like that. But it was because of getting to work with her on that film that we became really actually lasting friends. And this is the way that the, the threads of community weave yeah. themselves together. Isn't that awesome? It just makes me so happy. Um, if I can take a moment for a quick commercial break. Ooh. Uh, Wicked Grounds podcast is, this month is brought to you by, I'm projecting and saying the successful Indiegogo campaign that completed on uh, August 31st. And I'm assuming that the last two days we were surprised by meeting our stretch goal as people jumped past the 10% that we had yet to achieve at the recording of this to go even farther and, and hit the stretch goals. <laughs> you are working the time-space continuum for all it's worth right there. Right? I'm going a little wibbly-wobbly, but I'm hopeful. <clears throat> Is that it for the Indiegogo? That, that's it, the Indiegogo. Um, and... The Monday that this should be coming out should be the Monday before our fifth anniversary party at Wicked Grounds. And right before the Folsom Street right Fair, before too, the right? Folsom the Street Mold- Fair. Monday of the Folsom Street Fair week. Leather week. And so we get to celebrate five years of Wicked Grounds, kinky coffee and tea and milkshakes. I have an actual interesting question to put on the table. Um, you were talking about table. disability and sexuality, Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually something that I'm working with personally in my life. My partner has Asperger's. He is trying to find himself in the kink community, but he does not know what is safe for him and what is not safe right. with Asperger's or with any kind of mental disability. And I would like to talk about that. Like, what? How do people find a safe area if they have Asperger's or a like? Well, I think just as anybody's first stepping into this world I mean a lot of times we've got a lot of notions about what is sexy and what we'd like to do or what kind of fabulous predicaments we'd like to get ourselves into. The fantastic fantasy versus the realistic fantasy. Yes. Um, And for somebody who's got any kind of a disability, certainly a cognitive or Mm a um, a neuro non-typical one, the, the question of putting a fantasy together with reality and one's own limits yeah. is, you know, that's a really mm-hmm. reasonable question. Everybody's got some version of mm-hmm. a reasonable question like that, but it, it could be much more um, intense and significant. I would say especially sort of working around the, the way that we have to break down any mm-hmm. fantasy or any desired set yeah. of activities in kink into constituent parts, figure out where they might have the easiest time with something mm-hmm. like that and where the the challenges oh, yeah. might come in um, and also making sure, sure, sure that the people around them are taking care of it, are taking care of exactly. them, are supportive, exactly. are um, able to know which ways they communicate best mm-hmm. and, and but, also be able to put their own limits out because yeah. just depending on no matter whether you're top or bottom mm-hmm. or what, mm-hmm. if you're with somebody who doesn't communicate in a way that you might find typical yeah. communication. We always say communication mm-hmm. is important and key, and it is, but it is. even more so there. Also, I don't know if you know about Dr. Amy Marsh, hmm. but Dr. Amy Marsh is a sexologist who got her degree uh, from the same place I did at the Institute for the Advanced Study mm-hmm. of Human Sexuality. Advanced. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Amy Marsh, one of the things she does is look at um, 
Asperger's and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And she might have some blog posts and yeah, great. Uh, resources and stuff that your partner might find really <clears throat> interesting and useful. And I know that is a blanket question for a lot of people with Asperger's. I know that with me and my partner, our comfort zone is definitely pet play because he can just be. And I can supervise, you know, him. But a problem is, is I'm, I am also very submissive and he wants to be able to give me, like to help me like being, by being dominant. Luckily, I have enough experience to where I can draw my own lines. But at the same time, being Polly, he really wants to have a submissive partner and he does not feel ready to have a submissive partner. And I'm completely proud of him for being able to recognize that. But at the same time, you know, he's people need to be concerned of the, the welfare of their partner as well, especially because right. he cannot, like, yes, he wants to really get in touch with his dominant side, but he cannot communicate well enough. And if you guys or, or if he and any other partner that he might have goes to a place of real intensity, mm-hmm. how his submissive's intense response feels and yep. factors to him with his own way of understanding things might be different. Especially to not be able to have that compassion to yeah. really understand. Because I yeah. know that with me, we could be in an argument and he does not have, he cannot really have sympathy. Like sympathy. Right. He can hear what I'm saying, but there is no... But he's not putting himself in your oh, shoes. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I mean, lots of people aren't very good at that, but, you know, he's, yeah. got, he's got extra reasons why... Yeah, definitely. He isn't, and he's lucky because he's got you because you understand that stuff. So definitely. That's, that's step one. You know, it, I'm thinking about the really sort of the basic kind of information, the most basic uh, book about dominance that I know about is actually Janet Hardy's, which mm-hmm. she wrote when she was Lady Green, writing as Lady Green, uh, um, the, sen- the sexually dominant woman. And I don't know whether or not your partner would feel like it was um, an alienation to read something that was made for sort of a woman's first experience. No. So if not, maybe yeah. that's something that, mm-hmm. that breaks it down into simple enough parts that mm-hmm. he can start to, to step into that role even. Yeah. And also just probably figuring out where the safe word is and saying it earlier than you maybe otherwise yes, would, definitely. at least for starters. I think that d- disability in the kink community is something that like, I would like to have more resources for, especially for him and knowing that he's not the only one out there who's saying, where do I fit in here? Right. Absolutely. And at the Center for Sex and Culture, just a week ago, we had um, a panel put together by our wonderful summer intern, Sarah, Mm -hmm. um, who came from Hampshire College, or Smith, actually. I think she, Hampshire's program center, but she's from Smith. And she wanted to talk about disability-related issues, too. And Mm -hmm. she um, worked really hard. She made the center a scent-free environment for the weekend and, and turned it into a zone that was much easier for people to come and find access. We got mm-hmm. a, an interpreter, and um, I was off at a board retreat, which was awesome, but I was sad to miss it, because I'm sure mm-hmm. it was an amazing discussion. Yeah. I think that's really good to have that on the table. I think the whole question of access, I mean, access is, we talk about access with disability and stuff, but, but access is also a diversity question. Oh, too, yeah. Right? Yeah. Definitely. So much. Yep. I mean, and, everyone's coming from their own space, and, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a lot of information out there. Not all the information is appropriate to every person coming in. It could yeah. be a cultural thing. It could be a mental or physical limitation. Or, it, it, you know, it, there are so many different things that when people come in and that, you know, what's right, what fits for them. Yeah. As you were saying uh, the last time about, you know, 
it's not necessarily the best vibrator for in the, the world. It's the best thing that fits you. Right, and right. Or maybe it is the best vibrator in the world, but <laughs> if it's too intense for you, it's not the best vibrator right. in the world for you. Right. And, and you know, I'm, I'm so struck at good vibrations every time I go on the floor and talk to customers or do educational events and stuff like that. It's really such an intense thing to try to get a customer. Maybe it's pretty busy. They can't hang out and talk, 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 talk mm-hmm. with us for ages. To let them know that it's actually going to be their responsibility to think about their sex experience up till now and figure out, well, you know, how big was that penis or that thing that I used to use at home or yep. the how many fingers were that were mm-hmm. those that felt good and not too much and and <clears> then <throat> think about what they might want as far as and that's you know that's just for insertive toys. I mean, there's so many different questions and sort of continua mm-hmm. to yeah. look at. There's not just one continuum about yeah. sex, not at all. I know that I'm completely insensitive. I I, I have to use I know that my first orgasm was maybe three years ago four years ago and that was on a Sibian okay right when I was lucky I found it because I thought I was broken I thought I was one of those girls who never have an orgasm and then it happened and I was like woo yay and then I actually tried a Hitachi and that works for me but that's really intense and I can get even more desensitized by using it all the time so I'm trying to find like a happy medium like something that I can use but not kill like all the nerve endings because it's just you know, people, this is, I talk about the desensitization piece a lot, and this might be interesting to, to some of the people listening, that, that it seems as though what actually especially causes the desensitization is for those of us who are prone to take a vibrator and not just kind of tease around mm-hmm. and move it around and tickle, tickle, mm-hmm. buzz, buzz, but to go straight in, find oh, yeah. out where you like it, press it on there. Press it hard. Yeah. If it's the magic wand, you know, mm-hmm. its little head will kind of turn sideways. Yeah. It's got that flexible head, so you can do yeah. that. Yeah. And just as if you were leaning on your hand mm-hmm. um, at a picnic and yeah. your hand goes to sleep, you're yeah. actually doing that physical Compression smash of, the nerve endings yeah, yeah, down. Compressing the tissue. And vibration can help make that happen a little quicker, I think. Yeah. But it isn't specifically that vibration turns you numb and keeps you numb. Mm-hmm. That's not how it's working. Yeah. It's, the blood will flow right back in, mm-hmm. starting soon after you pick the pressed very intensely against your yeah. clitoris or wherever you got it pressed. Yeah. Vibrator, and then... I'm just one of those type of people that just like to go for it. You know, like, get it done. I hear target. you. Stay just, on target. I do it. hear you. And do it, do it quick. So <laughs> there's there's one organization around town that that is telling everybody that where where the sensitive spot on the clitoris is. Mm-hmm. I'm all. Mm-hmm. There's only Something, one. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I can remember finding many. Yeah. <laughs> on my own and on that the clitor- yes. clitoridae of others. <laughs> is that the plural clitoridae? I think it might. Be. I just don't have yeah. very many patients, and sometimes I feel like foreplay is way too intimate for me, and I'm still working on that. Right. You know, like regular like. Digital foreplay. Sometimes I'm just like, Ugh, you know, like I just get really uncomfortable. But. Plus, different touches make a different. I mean, one if you aren't real aroused yet, a touch mm-hmm. that would feel awesome in 15 minutes or whenever it would be yeah. feels iggy or too intense mm-hmm. or I can't even feel that really. It's, it's more of the fact of the that many, I can't feel it, so yeah. it's weird. I'm just yeah. Like, well, what is like, going on here? You're just why touching is this me. Person petting <laughs> this part of me, and it's not actually doing anything. Yeah. yeah. Which is part of the whole deal of everybody's different. Yes, yeah. definitely. You know, that's one of the many ways mm-hmm. that you, they might want exactly the same kind yeah. of something, something eventually. Mm-hmm. But 
the time frame that it takes to get there different. Oh yeah, like impact play. If I if impact play is my foreplay, mm-hmm. orgasms will come so much faster afterwards. But if I just try to go right into like regular foreplay, it's just no. Because you no. wake up your nerve endings and you get jacked right into adrenaline adrenaline and endorphins Mm -hmm. and adrenaline and endorphins are supportive of vanilla sexual response as well as kinky sexual response so yeah that makes actually perfect sense Mm. only one of the many reasons why spanking makes good foreplay for those for whom (laughs) it does spanks are good I mean spanks aren't for everybody but for for those who it is yep so We've been talking a lot, you know, the last episode we talked a lot about sex and politics and, you know, we we're talking about uh, orgasm now, but I also want to, what else do you nerd out about? What else? Yes, I mean, is, is, let's open that is box. It just, is your life purely sex or is there other things you nerd out about? As my ex-girlfriend said, when I, I think it was when I got my job at Good Vibrations in 1990 and I called her up and I was all excited. She said, I could see if sex was your business. I could see if it was your hobby. With you, it's everything. <laughs> I was all, well, there's a lot of different things there. It's not one thing. Mm-hmm. But no, mm-hmm. I do have some nerd out um, situations that don't necessarily directly uh, lead into or derive from sex and its many, uh, many splendored facets. So one of them is I'm a little bit of a foodie. Ooh. And I like to... This is a good town for it. Yeah, it's a very good town for it, a good region for it. I like to... Um, uh, my mother was a, sorry, mom, you're dead. You can't make me not say this. I'm just going to say it. My mom was a terrible cook, poor baby. She didn't really want to be that lady who cooked all the dinners all the time yeah. forever. She wanted, she wanted to be a concert pianist. She didn't so, want to be that other lady. So. A trapped cook. Yeah. Mm. So I didn't think food was all that until I found food that was all that, and now I'm pretty oh, yeah. pretty happy with it. I'm, an, I'm a so pretty is, decent cook, but uh, when I can go find somebody who's a stunning cook, I'm always... And Very pleased. So what is your go-to dish? Um, when I actually cook myself, nine times out of ten I make pasta. I make gluten-free pasta because it's hard to get good gluten-free pasta out in the universe of yeah. pasta restaurants. So, And you can do a squillion different things with it. Um, I live right next door to the fatted calf. <laughs> And that will make the vegans unhappy. And I'm sorry, you guys. I didn't mean to make you unhappy right there. But um, for the... Other people, they will know that that's pretty awesome. Mm. And uh, so I, I interact with sausages and things like that. That sounded sort of nasty. <laughs> it's okay, though. Maybe, we can be a little nasty Maybe that here. would be true uh, that way as well as the other way. Anyway, and the other thing I really like to do is um, go to estate sales. Robert and I are big estate sale characters. We go, and I like them for two reasons. One, I get to see... Um, the stuff in situ Mm. and I get to learn something about the different ways that people have constructed their lives and their their spaces and I like that a lot actually it's a little it's a little anthropological and then um, then if I like some of it I get to take it home with me (laughs) (laughs) and that means I especially look for Back to sex, sex-related stuff. I look for old sex books. I look for, um, is there a vibrator under the bed? Sometimes there is. (laughs) Some of those things have gone into the Good Vibes Antique Vibrator Museum. A few things that I have found under the bed have gotten uh, gotten showcased in there. And um, the thing I really like to find more than anything, because it's pretty rare, um, is when grandpa or great-grandpa had a dirty joke 
typed on onion skin paper so that you can practically see through it. <laughs> and for some reason, they always folded that stuff in quarters and put it in with other uh, paperwork that wasn't dirty. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to look for it to find it. But if I found an onion skin piece of paper quartered, I know I'm probably going to find a dirty limerick or something. Nice. It's awesome. I have so much fun when I do that. It's like hunting and gathering. Yeah. Well, when you're out and about, if you see any interesting hats at 7 and, seven and 3 eighths, give me a buzz. Nice. <laughs> I, uh, we like hats at our house, too. I don't think anybody wears 7 and 3 eighths, so that way we can keep yeah. an eye out for you. And um, I really love getting um, vintage clothes mm-hmm. yes. in antique stores, but I all in, 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 in those places too, but but also at estate sales. And I really, really like finding um, old paper because the other thing I do that isn't necessarily directly sex related is I make collages. Mm. And I'm an old school paper and glue. Don't ask me to Photoshop it. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Robert is actually taken to, to being a, a little Photoshop monster lately. And he makes awesome uh, collages without the benefit of any piece of paper being harmed, but I have to harm the piece of paper in order to make it happen. And uh, I do a lot of things. When I was in college, I taught a class on women and religion and feminist religion and spirituality. And so I got turned on to Z Budapest's um, insight that if you squint your eyes at the Virgin of Guadalupe... It looks vulvular, <laughs> and, um, and I mean that in the very most respectful way for both Mary and the vulva, as I'm sure you all yes. know, knowing me. And uh, so I like to go there with my collages sometimes. That's one of the things that I like to, to re-evoke, shall we say. Okay. I can see it in my head just closing my eyes. Yeah, you squint oh, yeah. at it, and those, those little rays mm-hmm. that are all around the Guadalupe, look. <laughs> look what they turned into when you squint your eyes. It's red. <laughs> That actually sounds like a lot of fun. I, I too, enjoy vintage clothing and, and, and hunt, the hunting gathering for it. Uh, one of I like vintage doodads, like little knickknacks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am sitting here with a, a vintage bow tie. That was you a lovely gift. have a nice gift. bow tie on. Look at that. Yeah, like, uh, like we know, we are born naked and everything else is drag. <laughs> and some people's drag is a little more drab than drag. And mm-hmm. some people's drag is fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah, it's one thing with the cast. I can't wear my normal slacks and stuff, but I've got. Aww. I think I've managed to, to see. You don't have a kilt, do you? No, I don't have see, a kilt. See, tailor made for kilt oh, velvet well, like, pants. Uh, most of my pants have suspender buttonholes, which right. I don't, which I don't have on the stretch right. pants yet. That's a good fetish, actually. Suspender buttonholes. That's mm-hmm. a nice. That's, that's <laughs> a, I knew one person who collected the. Um, the short sock suspenders that you wear right mm-hmm. underneath your knees. I have those. I have those. I wear them. Those I have are pretty a pair rad. of those as well. Yep. 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 <laughs> I wear those on special occasions. And the thing about clothing, of course, is that you can fetishize anything, mm-hmm. and you can fetishize it around role play reasons, or because of the kind of the kind of fabric it is, or mine is business suits, well-made business suits. Nice. It is an automatic. Like I want you now. <laughs> That's why I do not go to the financial district. Is because there's too many to act out, I, I just, right? Too many there's an old kids in the hall routine about uh, two hunter trappers on a canoe swimming through the financial districts, just scalping suits. I just totally see you doing that sketch. Oh, I love suits. I can't help myself. I don't know why. I just I love them. Suits and really good cologne. It's just it makes me want to chase people like Pepe Le Pew. Just. <laughs> 
It's a pheromone thing. I mean, I've been very fortunate in the last few years that I've been able to, you know, as, as the cafe has gotten a little bit better, I've been able to focus a little bit on myself and getting a lot more dapper in my attire. And I, I like invoking that old-fashioned style. I mean, while I realize that, you know, a lot of the 30s, 40s, 50s looks that I try and draw on weren't necessarily the best times, but that's the advantage of the now is we get to cherry-pick the past. Right, right. It's it's kind of. I'm sorry, people who had to live through all that. Then we don't mean anything bad by it. Podcast, Yet we are cherry picking you. <laughs> you know, actually, I think though, you were absolutely right, Ryan. But the other thing that that I think we have to say at the same time is, we don't actually know to a very clear degree how bad and how good things were because the stuff that tells us about our sexual history gets lost. Yeah. Because it's lost so much more quickly than other kinds of information. So it's one of the things that, that we like to hoard at the center. Whenever we find stuff that are you know, diaries or personal statements and letters from people, it's just invaluable because that stuff gets burned. It gets tossed. Well, I mean, you have the, the running joke now about, you know, if I die, run home and delete my browser history. Well, <laughs> that's, you know, the historical equivalent of, like, this is the embarrassing stuff that people, you know, this, oh, after I'm gone, the last thing I want is people to know what was happening in my pants. Right. <laughs> Which, when you're gone, you would think it probably wouldn't have mattered to you anymore, but we're always projecting, of course. And, you know, one time we got a call, or very, really early in the Center for Sex and Culture's history, and we got a call from this complete stranger referred by somebody we knew saying... I have a donation for you. Will you come and get it? Yes, we went and got it. And he said, this coffee can full of old, dirty photographs from the 1940s and 50s was on the upper rafter of my next-door neighbor's garage. And when he got sick with cancer, he called me up and said, when I die, please just tell your my wife you borrowed, you, you had to something in, in my garage belongs to you that I had borrowed, and Ren, get that can. <laughs> so that she never finds it. And he had been walking around his life for the last 20, 30 years with a can. A little rusty around the edges. Right, but what do you Stuff do with that? full of black and white sex pictures. Okay. We were so nice. happy to get it. The, 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 so happy to the get that me asks, how explicit were they? They were explicit. They were not kinky particularly, <laughs> right. but they were full on those are um, great grandpa's neighbors having sex right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, you know, the one thing is like it's an amazing, that's an amazing bit of history uh-huh. that would normally uh-huh. just be discarded because, you know, laws against such material and, and stuff like that. But then I also think about the, the poor guy who, this was his secret part of his life that he could not share with anyone. Right. Right, and he couldn't get rid of it either. It was yeah. super meaningful to him. And, you know, no matter whether it's people tuning into explicit porn or, you know, books, particular books, there's, I mean, everybody's got something yeah. that is their special, personal, it gets them where they live thing. Mm. It might not necessarily feel like sexual arousal exactly, or that's maybe exactly what it feels like. Or intellectual arousal. Right, yeah. absolutely. 
And so it just it's just such an honor for us to collect that stuff. It means that no matter what else happens, this stuff didn't get trashed. It right. didn't mm-hmm. get burned, and we've got a little tiny bit of a window in to that moment in time. And, you know, that person's identity isn't at all jeopardy or his mem- memory isn't at all tarnished. Sometimes we don't even know who they are. Right. Yeah. The one time we got a collection that we did definitely know who it was, it was somebody who had worked at Lawrence Livermore Lab under a security clearance for his entire adult life, and he was a full-on fetish cross-dresser. He had built a little <laughs> separate room in his house. His wife and daughter knew about it. They would take their own vacation once a year and leave him home for a week. Mm. I probably shouldn't even be calling him him, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know to what degree this person actually was mm-hmm. um, in their heart of hearts female, but every single chance they got, they want they they went into this zone of their inner femme. And mm-hmm. and we found it through an estate sale because mm-hmm. the estate sale guy knew us and said, "No, we're going to keep this for them. They'll they'll get it." And we finally met. We we just said, "This is extraordinary. If this person's family members are willing to talk to us, we would love to talk to them." And they did. The daughter did. It was such a big honor. So now we have an interview about this person and their materials. Nice. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And it would have gone. I mean, I don't. That family was pretty accepting. I don't know if it got them burned, but it wouldn't have been a resource for anybody else. Right. So at least now, if there's an academic or somebody, you know, who who knows who would find that really really valuable? But somebody would. So I'm really. I'm just. I kind of fetishize that. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah. I fetishize other people's other people's dishes? secrets that I can then preserve. And if they've passed away, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to see them go, but, you know, I know that it's not going to be an issue for them. Mm-hmm. And we can rescue that material. We can keep it safe. We can make people get access to it if it is useful and important to them. And that's great. So if you're listening yeah. to this at home and you have, you know, you, this is right now your little secret and you're listening to this and you don't share this with anyone else, which is, is okay. I'm not, you know. Each their you own. You don't have to. You don't have mm-hmm. to. Um, and you decide that you know you need you want part of that little bit of you uh, saved for history. Where does one contact the Center for Sex and Culture? Well, the, sex and cul- <laughs> the Center for Sex and Culture is online at sexandculture.org. You just write it out: s e x a n d c u l t u r e dot org, and you find. Um, out how to well, you find out more about our history. You find out what's going on at the center because it is a, a space with, that has events and stuff like that. And you find out how to donate to us if you want to. Thank you. Uh, not until you've donated to the Indiegogo campaign for the cafe, right? I mean, first things first. But right. and you know, then your Indiegogo campaign is next. When you're all it's all left over, then then there we are. We're hanging out. And um, how people can uh, communicate with us is linked on the website so people can send us emails if they want to. We, uh, I'm sorry to say, especially with what you disclosed about the role of Playboy in your life yeah. back in the day, we probably have as many copies of Playboy as any entity could hold. Outside <laughs> of Playboy itself. Yeah, outside from Playboy itself. But, um, but we still take small and unusual book collections mm-hmm. in, um, private stuff like photos and diaries and journals and yeah. 
letter collections, manuscripts, mm-hmm. writers' materials, all of that kind of stuff. Um, if people have special stashes that were associated with a sex-related group, mm-hmm. we totally want to know about that. We're a we're an academic entity without being within any academy, so we really are sort of a community academic holding zone, and we're a five hundred one c three nonprofit. So and basically, <laughs> a community sexual archive. Yeah, basically, mm-hmm. and and more than that too. But that is certainly one, one of the of the. the things that we started knowing that we really wanted and needed to do. The library, too, we're really, really honored to be able to have a nice gallery. People think that people who write and make sex stuff must take it to the bank. In our <laughs> culture, that is actually not very true. And it's part of the weird, the weird thing about being in a culture that is obsessed with sex and not mm-hmm. really very comfortable with it all the time. So when we can actually make a nice gallery show for a, an explicit artist, I'm sure you all feel the same yeah, way here. here. It's really nice to give them some walls and let them have their friends over and get and eyeballs in front of their work. Get worshipped yeah. a little, yeah, yeah. it's good. Well, it's like it's kind of funny. I have a, uh, I might have mentioned this last time, so stop me if I have. But I have a friend of mine who's published. Uh, you know, one of the Naughty Boys published their their books on how to tie up people. And they've done very well. Useful skill. Very useful skill, safe <laughs> skills. Uh, and they've done very well within the King community. Mm-hmm. One of them has gone off to write books on how to tie knots in general and just the, the art of knot making. Not at all on people. And he has done like a hundred times better because it is a much broader acceptance. Mm-hmm. Yep. And those, you know, he's just working on those books now. Yep. And it, it's like, I look at that story and it's like, it, well, I'm very happy for his success, and it's like that's great. It just makes me think really about the sex community and how it is such a bubble, and how yeah. it is so much smaller, and how mm-hmm. people, you know, a lot of people will not be able to have his first books on their coffee table in case mom and dad or the neighbor or whoever come over, and how they must hide that part of themselves. Yep. Whereas you know this book on how to just make Paracord knots is fine because it's a vanilla. You know, like that having to maintain that vanilla veneer mm-hmm. to be successful and to be successful yeah. to protect themselves from scorn. Yeah, that's my big soapbox. And uh, you know, I think that the whole idea that it's acceptable to call out somebody else for something and subject them to scorn. It's clearly something that all of our communities, various communities, need to pitch in and say, where on earth is all this scorn coming from? Right. Like, why, do, why do we have to have a get, It Gets Better project and, a, and an unslut project? Why do we have to do this work? I mean, obviously, we do have to do this right. work. It's so good that people are doing it. I'm so, I mean, so is- grateful to Dan and, 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 mm-hmm. and all the people who are doing all this stuff, but... But wouldn't it be nice if we could just teach people not to hate on each other to start yeah. with? I mean, that'd be it, awesome. Are people that jealous in the world? Mm-hmm. Are, is it? It's not even the fact of jealousy. I think it's just uneducated, and, and it seems like the norm. Yeah, for yeah. people. I mean, when they're coming up, you know, that's how you distinguish yourself mm-hmm. from other groups and cliques and identities. And you know, I guess it's natural in that way. But yeah. I would like to see us smish that yeah. you know once we get everybody married who wants to be married maybe we could take that on next that seems like it would be a good a good project mm-hmm. for all of us and well, I that's think, why we're here for 
Yeah, and, and I also think, you know, the one thing that I love about the fact that, that he stepped away from the bubble and started to teach not tying to just anybody is, you know, that some percentage of those Boy Scouts and some percentage of those parasailers and some percentage of those boat guys and gals, some percentage of everybody who buys that book that's completely vanilla veneered will have more access to knowledge that's based in our community that will make a difference if they ever get into our community in any kind of a way. And so I, I care that the knowledge gets out there and then I want them to be able to own why they want that knowledge. In right. The mm-hmm. yeah, it's like uh, my father had a, a sailboat when I was a kid. So I always speculate if that's like, you know, that was my first experience with ropes and stuff like that. And, you know, now here I am, associate director of Shibari Khan and doing, <laughs> all, my, doing all my ropey rope stuff. Coincidence? I think not. But we don't know, do we? We just don't know. You know, the researchers are all... I mean, is it a question of... Exposure created interest, or interest was fed by exposure? You know, like, would chicken egg... You know, Havelock Ellis thought that there was a certain period in time of a kid's life when, you know, sexual impulses were likely to arise and focus on whatever it was. It's like, it's like the Conrad Lorenz ducks. Conrad Lorenz walks through the yard, and all of a sudden the little ducks are like, you're my mommy, Dr. Lorenz. It's like that. Yeah. And, and it's a good theory. I don't think we know yeah, there's, even remotely if it's a correct one. There's so many variables in life. So many variables. And, of course, you know, the thing that's interesting to me, too, is that plenty of us are like, yay, we found our kink, we found our sexuality. And yet there are tons of people with so comparable kinks and sexualities who are not okay with it. And so the, the piece of whether or not you're comfortable, whether or not you've got shame or you, the you don't have shame, the self-acceptance piece doesn't stop it and it doesn't make it go either. It's, yeah. it's kind of a, a parallel side-by-side qualification that doesn't stop. That's why, shame, that's why shaming people clearly doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, we all are unshameable because we got that way either naturally or by hook and by crook. Right. But all those shameable people are still doing their kinky stuff. So yeah. it didn't work to shame them. Mm-hmm. You guys, you're wasting your time and energy shaming people. I just... Ooh. I think it's more like... I know that for <laughs> me, I'm still dealing with, like, shame from my family. Yeah. You know, and I think that's... A lot of people are dealing with that. Like, we are all strong and woo, like, with our friends and our peers. But sure. the moment we go home to the people who raised us and, you know, our family and blood, it's just... It's a completely different story. I don't know. I, I'm very fortunate that my family are very supportive. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've come out with the cafe because of the cafe to my family about, you know, all my sexual, not the details, but my sexual interests are out in the open and on a public website that people yeah. can look at. And so, I mean, my mother has donated to the Indiegogo campaign and, and, and supported us in the past, as has my father. So it's like, I am a very fortunate human being that I've gotten this great foundation on my sexual identity that I, I'm not shamed by my parents. I'm, you know, I, I was, I think I've told the story last time about my, you know, 82-year-old Catholic mm-hmm. grandmother, her asking me, is that kinky? It's like, yes, grandma, yes, it is. <laughs> I think that, I mean, I'm open. I'm very open. Yeah. I don't hide anything from my family. I am who I am. But sometimes I feel a little guilty, you know, feeling like I'm pushing 
who I am on my family because they're not ready yeah. for it. So I think that's a very uncomfortable area to be yeah, in. Are good. they graceful about it or are they a little... Um, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen my da- whole dad. Like I only see my mom, but I haven't seen the rest of my family in years because of who I am or the type of life I live. Um, we actually do have some questions for you on Twitter. Oh, awesome. excellent. Yay. So let's get into that. Uh, our first question is, what is your favorite non-porn slash erotic slash sex book? My favorite non-porn or erotic sex book. Um, or sex. Or s- Yeah, non, that whole Bailey book. Right, right, right. I think um, the book that has meant the most to me um, probably ever um, was the first book of essays by Pat, now Patrick Califia that I got my mitts on mm-hmm. because um, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the stories. Actually, I found the stories before I found the essays and the stories did for me what the essays did plus um, sexual arousal. So yay. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a nice lanyap. Um, and that book was Macho Sluts. <laughs> so I found that even before um, I found, and I'm trying to remember the name of the book, and I can totally picture the cover of it. I'm not remembering the title, but anybody who looks up Pat Califia essays will find this. And anybody who doesn't know Macho Sluts, oh, meow, 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 rah, 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 rah. it's so intense and so fabulous. And let me just say also, Cliffy is one of the brains, the great brains of kink. Um, but there are many great brains of kink. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. got to visit Gail Rubin last week, and I feel like I've been really lucky to come up at the precise moment in time when all of this secret knowledge, this hidden community, when people and, finally and- published it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I can't even say how important that is to me. Without books... I'm sure my little head would have exploded when I was a kid for other reasons. But once I became a sexual person, books saved my life and made possibility for me every step of the way. That's why I'm a writer. Yeah. If, yeah. If, I, if that hadn't been my backstory, I don't know that I would have sat down and put pen to paper ever. But it was so important to me that I just pitched right in. Yes. Actually, you know... Did- dovetail on the, the book. That's one of the reasons why we try and carry so many books here at the cafe, to be that resource for people. To, you know, like it, we, we're re- the, the, li- the books for sale here have become so much more robust and we've gotten be able to expand that so much. It's really good and partly because bookstores are losing it in yeah. this moment in time. And so if you can find a way to to add books into the mix in a store that's not having a hard time like a, an ordinary bookstore might do. And, of course, many bookstores are doing okay, but they only have so many sex books, a lot right. of them. You know, the sex section is, mm-hmm. is often a little bit limited. And, you know, it's been really important to continue to carry books at Good Vibes. We've got vibrators aplenty and many <laughs> other things, too. But the books are... Yeah. We don't make the most money off the books, but we have a book there when the person who needs a book needs the book. Yeah, having that resource available for people when they do reach out because I recognize, you know, like I said, I come from my, uh, the privilege of my sexual upbringing and I recognize that it is not as easy for people 
to reach out and you know like taking that first re- step out for this interest in this book or this vibrator or this toy takes courage and I can respect that and want to make sure that the least I can do is be there with what you want when you yeah, ask for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, I mean, it, it allows us to do whatever degree of role modeling we can, too, and that's important. You know, we wouldn't, I wouldn't have known how to turn into myself if I didn't have role models, and I think many of us would not have been able to. So you're lucky enough that your parents didn't put a bunch of nonsense yeah. to, to, to prevent you from coming into yourself at a relatively early age and be able to do the work in the world and the community that you can do and that we can do. It makes yeah. a big difference. You know, I don't think everybody needs to pitch in. Everybody doesn't need to use their real name. I mean, but, you know, you and I, it, the fact that you and I can use our names yeah. to talk about these things, I just want to remind people that we can build a world where that's possible. Next question? Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. please. So... It says here that Wikipedia says you belong to a pretty sex-positive faith. Assuming that is true, how do you think your religion and attitudes towards sexuality are related? Well, Wikipedia. It's <laughs> on Wikipedia. It must be true. Um, I have been associated with Wicca, feminist Wicca in particular, or goddess worship. And that is, in general, compared to many other religious or spiritual systems, pretty darn sex-positive. Um, and one of the things that attracted me the most to it, I think, was both... Um, how it reconceptualized the role of women and also how it um, reconfigured sexuality or talked about sexuality in a really different way. Um, fun fact, when I was doing my first sort of out-in-the-world discussions about um, Wicca and goddess worship, I actually attracted a submissive <laughs> who wanted to come and sub- be my submissive, and I was all... Dude, I'm kind of a submissive. I don't know if I can, you know, I don't, I don't know. Wash my panties, worm. I mean, we, you know, we tried it once. Yeah, I got my panties washed. It was all right. And um, I felt weird about calling him worm, though. I didn't know if that was okay. I wrote it down, finally. You know, these things happen in your life so that they will make a good story later. Right. That's what I figure. And um, I think that having um, a spiritual path at a time when I really needed a spiritual path that didn't put the sex negative pieces Mm -hmm. into my brain was really crucial. I mean, I I didn't really have a a religion when I was a a kid. My parents were pretty agnostic, I think. Mm -hmm. I never heard them talk about religion, which must mean they were either super circumspect or pretty agnostic. So uh, when the time came that it made a difference to me to have it, Having that made a huge difference, mm-hmm. and especially about the there's a jillion different ways to be a woman, because you know some some of the listeners I'm sure know, but goddess spirituality takes all the goddesses that anybody could collect from anywhere mm-hmm. and and makes like a whole tarot deck full, a whole herd of you know tons and tons of different goddesses. Mm-hmm. Parliament of goddesses. Yes. That's very collective noun and empowerment of goddesses. I like it, right? Um, it, it t- and it tells people more about what's possible for women and everyone, actually. Because once things get different for women, it all shifts. At least that, that's my old school feminism talking. It's not just women, of course. It's everybody. But, but once things change, then it changes for everybody. Two, question, two more questions. Okay. 
If you could pass any law in the United States, what would it be? If I could pass any law. Um, well, I would certainly remove some laws. I would say I want laws against all consensual sexual activity to get off Repeal. the books because bye bye that would that would make many people be able to live the lives that they need to live in a way that it doesn't doesn't get them in trouble with the law. But I think if I were going to wanting to pass a law, a new one, I would want it to have something to do with um, non-consensual shaming and you know sharing people's sex pictures and. So we have All hate, that we have stuff. hate crimes on the books. You want to it shame be, crimes? I kind of want to shame crime, and I realize that that's um, a First Amendment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that that's rough, but I don't think it should be any more okay to take somebody down via their sexuality and their identity than it is to take somebody down with a weapon. I mean, yeah. that's 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 weaponized thought right there, and yeah. I really don't think it's okay. I'd rather teach people not to do it than pass a law, though. Yeah. I will say that. Okay, next question. Um, asexuality. Let's just talk about that really quick, because I've had a couple people um, bring that to the surface. Like, asexuality in the community, how does that work? Like, what, what is some, asexuality? How, how, what are some of your thoughts on yeah. that? I um, was at um, an LGBT... Uh, national organization when I met David Jay, who was one of the founders of Avin, um, the Asexuality, Visibility, and Education Network, I think is what Avin stands for. And um, I have found it really, really super interesting as a sex-positive person, advocate for swinging from the chandelier any old way you do, um, to talk to sex-positive, uh, from a sex-positive perspective, to people who identify as asexual. How I would identify asexuality, although I, I would rather let people within the community, I mean, they would go further than I would go probably and be more precise and informative, but I would um, represent asexuals as people who don't have sexual desire for other mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. um, in the way that most of us think of sexual desire. And I know that there are many sort of gradations and variations. Some asexual people don't have any desire for sexual arousal or masturbation and never mm -hmm. feel those desires or feel those feelings. Mm -hmm. um, some do have a solo sexual life that doesn't interfere with their understanding of themselves as not wanting to asexually connect or sexually connect with others. They're kinky asexuals, I'm finding, yeah. um, which mm -hmm. is pretty awesome. Like, no vanilla for me, thank you very much. I want all the sprinkles all the time or whatever. <laughs> and uh, people who want to partner and be intimate, uh, whether poly or monogamously, but from an asexual perspective where yeah. the um, sexual connection with their partner isn't expected. Mm -hmm. So there's so many different ways and yeah. shades and variants. Um, I was really honored to be able to blurb a great new book on asexuality that just, just is coming out. And um, I think that a sex-positive community needs to, in order to really understand the role of consent and desire and honor it, mm -hmm. you've got to uh, honor the space of asexuality. Yeah. Because if you don't, you're trying to stuff a bunch of sex and sexual acts on people who don't want to have them. Yeah. And the fact is, plenty of sexual people have had to deal with that in their mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. And it it's, it's, feels like the same stuff to me. It feels yeah. like each person gets to be the person they are with relationship to sexuality. Mm -hmm. Whether it's hella or a 
or one particular point on the spectrum yeah. or all of it that they can manage all of the or fluctuating time. over time or fluctuating over time either because of the changes in your body and your circumstances or because shame wanes and you already stepped across one line so you find you can step across another one well, for whatever reason and I think also as we go forward with, with more um, sort of sex positive or sexualized and supportive community more different things emerge mm -hmm. one of the things I mean there have always been asexuals I'm sure of it yeah but we didn't talk about that mm -hmm. back in the day but the bachelor life can't, can't be restricted to just closeted homosexuals that's right mm -hmm. I mean some people just are not into that they yeah. just don't want to be, they don't want to wake up with somebody. They don't want to go to sleep with somebody. They've mm -hmm. got a different set of priorities and desires. And yeah. um, I, it, it makes our possibilities um, and options richer to me to have articulate asexuals in the mix and to talk with people who are doing research, too. I mean, we'll understand more about sex yeah. when we understand more about asex. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely. We have one more question, actually, and it seems our guests always get one crazy random question, so I'm just going to ask this. Last, last time it was about soup, but this time I will ask you, what are some of your favorite kinds of socks? Socks? <laughs> okay, I will tell you my exact most favoriteest kind of socks. You're not wearing socks right now. Right now, you? I have sandals on, but, <laughs> um, you know, those little ankle socks with lace on them from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, Ankle socks with lace and platform high heels are my favoriteest socks. Nice. If you consider fishnets socks, <laughs> which they kind of are and they're kind of not, fishnets too. Foot, foot cover. I think we can expand socks to foot coverings. And um, I have a pair of socks with the Virgin of Guadalupe on them that I like a lot. Yeah, you can squint we, at them all the time. We covered that right? earlier. Why? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. I've got a little... A little fetish for the Guadalupe in, the, in, in, in a particular kind of way. And um, I have seen socks with Frida Kahlo on them, and mm. I would like mm. to get those socks. Great. I'm, um, a, I'm a big sock fan, too. Oh, I, I, I have, some, I have yeah. too many socks. I have more socks than clothing. That's for sure. I wear all black, but I have to have colorful socks. Nice. That's a good look. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have toast on my socks today. <laughs> That's great. But is it gluten-free toast? No, okay. it is not. Well, that's all right. <laughs> she might not need to... to each the, oh, no, 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 I know, I realize. <laughs> that's just me being selfish. Being San Franciscan? Yeah. <laughs> 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 which, is, which really, like, my mother also uh, avoids gluten, so... I actually... I was a negligent son. I flew all the way to Chicago for my mother's wedding and was there and did not bring her... Gluten-free yummy treats from the cafe because oh. you, you know they would last long enough to fly, but not enough to ship. Oh. Right? Shame on me. Oh. We have really good gluten-free banana bread. Yes. Here, that is so good to know. It's amazing. It's a brick of banana bread. It's Robert healthy. actually got me a present for my birthday, which was in July. He got me a business card that tells what I'm allergic to in every restaurant language known to the human <laughs> world, at least that he could come up with a translation for, so that I can just hand a card, and it can go into the kitchen, and the cook can go, okay, I don't know, there's two <laughs> things you can eat here. But it's yeah. helpful, it's very cool. Yeah, it's great. I had a, a friend of mine, Sprite, come to visit me when I was living in Japan, and there's like five or six of us out and about, and we went out for dinner, and we decided to go to the sushi boat place. <laughs> Sprite's a vegan. 
The word vegan doesn't translate very easily into Japanese. The sushi boat place was about the equivalent of $15 to get in. Poor Sprite paid $15 for orange wedges. That was the only thing that floated by that he could eat. No. No, that's very sad. That's very (laughs) sad indeed. Yeah, it's one more diversity thing, you know? Some of us are going to eat sushi off of each other, and some of us are going to need to find more vegan options for that. (laughs) I'm actually really glad that um, the sex toy world is getting a little more clued into vegan stuff. You know, it used to be that if you didn't want to have a leather harness, you were kind of wearing something that was like the straps off your backpack. And it couldn't have been as comfortable as... I mean, there's, I remember, like, you know, back when I was running Whiplash in Chicago, uh, the woman that was working for Scary Lady Sarah was vegan and was always about um, finding latex straps and stuff like that. Right. And it's actually really, so there's one day this person came in that was doing, taking late industrial waste latex stuff and she was making toys out of it. Right. And so I've had this one thing that's two pieces of rubber that's that's a slapper together that's circles. Nice I call, sound. Call nice sound. Um, and it makes uh, what I like to call my waffle maker. <laughs> that was 12 years ago. I've been using that toy ever since. Uh, the woman that goes by the designer, Lucifer, walked in a couple months ago here as a designer, lived in the East Bay this whole time. And it's like, I didn't realize it until I looked down and saw that she had another waffle maker. It's like, I can't endorse this toy more than I uh, possible. <laughs> but um, that we're, we're about at the end of this podcast. Uh, do you have anything you want to tag in or add real wrap, quick? Wrap it up with. Ra- to wrap it up with? <laughs> well, I want to remind people to um, visit the Center for Sex and Culture at sexandculture.org. And you can find me, um, including the Good Vibes blog posts I do, at goodvibes.com. Find the blog. You go all the way to the right toolbar where it says sex info or information or whatever it is. And you can find it that way. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter if you want to at, at Carol Queen. There's no E on the Carol. Um, and I'm not Carol King. I'm Carol <laughs> I'm sure I've been embarrassing her for years now. Um, and I'm on Facebook, too, although I haven't gotten uh, that the right page. Oh, Facebook. 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 Mm, Facebook. Facebook. Anyway. Well, thank you very much for joining today. This has been a blast. It was so chat. fun. It was so fun. What an honor <laughs> and what a great conversation. Yeah. Yay. Uh, and then I am Psycho Kitty Ryan, your host with... Rubik here. Thank you very much for joining us on the second part of our second episode of the Wicked Grounds podcast. Until next time, stay kinky. Talk to you soon. Bye.